Well, thank you, Brother Nate, for the um, devotional about the word of life. I trust today that I'm looking at a group of people that know that we can trust and we can reach out and we can grasp a hold of the word of life and make it personal in our lives. Um, greet you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, that name that the scripture tells us is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I trust that's who we're here to worship tonight. In myself, I have nothing to bring to you. Without the word of God, without the spirit of God, we may as well all just stay at home. And um, so t- this week as we go through these uh, meetings, it is my heart's desire to look into the word. As far as personal introduction, um, yes, we do serve at the, uh, we do live in the Waymart area, serve as pastor in the uh, Waymart Mennonite Church. I think most of you are familiar with the Waymart uh, Mennonite Church. We are very grateful to have received some of your family from here to ourselves. Uh, Brother Gregory and Sister Darlene have been a, a blessing already in just those the few short weeks that they've been there. So I think you're fairly familiar with the work there, and, um, and we just are trying to serve the Lord in our little spot in the world, just like you're trying to serve the Lord in your spot in, in the world. Um, as far as my family, I have a, a wife, Tina, and we have eight children, seven daughters, and one son that uh, range in, uh, from the age of three to 15. So um, that uh, makes for busyness as we, as we go through life. Um, as far as work, I, I, um, I hold a variety of jobs, and so it keeps life a little exciting for me. I do some farming, and, um, and I also still work for some farmers through uh, my father's business, and I do some odd jobs around the community as well. And so lots of diversity. So if you hear me referring to some different things that I do, you, you can uh, ask me about them if, if things come up that you wonder about. I will say it is good to be with you this week. My son wondered if I'm going to tell you that. Okay? Uh, he said, Dad, are you going to say that it's good to be with the people at Millmont this week? And I said, I, I thought a, bit, a little bit about it, and I said, yeah, I think so. You know, he's seen me sweating and toiling and laboring and, and, in preparation, and I'll, I'll be honest with you, as, I, as, I was, as I've been preparing for this week of meetings, preparation has not come easily. Um, I, I don't know why. But, um, and he said, are you going to say that? And I said, yeah, I think I will, because I know when I'm here, it's going to be good to be here, and we're going to be inspired by the Word of God. And I trust this week as we look into the word of God that the Holy Spirit through the word of God will stir my heart and your heart as we, as we go through this, through this week. And I believe it's imperative that each one of us has an openness to the word of God, not to, not to my message, but to the message of the scripture, the message that God wants us to receive those words of life as we already heard about we're, we're looking forward to a week of revival meetings coming up right after Monday. Uh, one week from today, our revival meetings start at home. And, and one person from our, our congregation was sharing with a local pastor there. And, and he said, 
he said, hey, he said, um, you're welcome to come to our revivals. And, and, and Pastor Sal looked at him and, and he, said, um, he said, how do you schedule a revival? This was a foreign concept to him. How, he said, and he was in earnest. He said, how do you schedule a revival? And, um, and so the, my brother in the Lord, he, he backed up a little bit and he said, well, it's revival meetings, okay? But I would like to say this evening that it, I believe that it's, um, that it's, we don't schedule the revival. That's the work of the Holy Spirit, right? But I believe it's imperative that as we come into the presence of God with an openness of heart, then God can revive us. Then God can bring to our lives those things that we stand in need of. And I believe the openness of my heart, the openness of each heart here, affects whether revival meetings will be effective in reviving. And so that's kind of um, some thoughts about revival. I invite you to turn with me um, to Ephesians chapter 3, just for maybe kind of a, you know, thinking about this thing of, of revival meetings and getting together and, and being revived. I see here in, in Ephesians chapter 3, and verses 17 through 19, kind of a blueprint, if you will, for revival. A blueprint for allowing the, God to work in our, in our lives. And, um, and some things that, we, that I find a blessing in these couple verses. In verse 17, chapter 3, verse 17, it says this, That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with the fullness of God. Maybe if there's a, maybe if there's a, uh, a theme verse for this week, would be there in verse 19, that ye may be filled with the fullness of God. I believe that sums up tonight what we're trying to accomplish throughout this week. I see here several things as, this, as, the, as kind of this diagram for, for the foundation of revival. Christ dwelling in your hearts by faith. To dwell is an abiding place. And Jesus, I believe, desires this evening to enter into the temple of each one of our hearts. Actually, I, I know he does. He desires to enter into the temple of each one of our hearts and to dwell there. Not just a head knowledge, but dear ones, this, this evening, brothers and sisters, it's my heart's desire that as we go through this week, that we move the, the message of the gospel 18 inches okay, from our heads to our hearts. And I believe it's vitally important and God wants that. He wants to dwell in our hearts by faith. Oh, the, so many of us, and, and myself included, we have such a, an ability with the head knowledge that God has given to us. But we, do we allow it to grip our hearts and to move us into action and to move us as we allow him into our hearts? Being anchored in love. Proper relationships that are beneficial to the kingdom of God. Jesus said the two greatest commandments were to love the Lord our God with all of our hearts, our soul, and our strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. He also speaks in these verses about a fuller understanding to know the height and the depth and the breadth and, and just the fullness of God. I trust that we have a desire for a deeper understanding. A deeper understanding that moves us in the things of the Lord. 
He also says here in these verses, to know the love of Jesus Christ. Do you know the love of Jesus Christ tonight? I trust as we go through these, this week of meetings that we'll look at the love of Jesus as he brings us salvation and new life and that blood of Christ, the greatest sacrifice of all times. And then finally, to be filled with the fullness of God. How full is full? Did you ever stop and think about how full is full? You know, when you're, when you, you know, there, things are full when there's room for no more. Um, you know, as children, sometimes, you know, we would go around the, the table, and my children do this too. I guess it's a fascination, right? And we, we would take the, the, the water picture, and we would fill up the glass of water until the, to the, till the tension of the molecules allowed the water to stack up in our glasses, right? And somebody bumped the table. Okay, and, and it went all over the table. Why? Because it was full. There was room for no more. Christ says, the, the writer of Ephesians says that we are to be filled with the fullness of God. In this cup of water tonight, I'm satisfied that this is full. Okay, I really am. But in our spiritual lives, are we satisfied with this being full? Okay, and that's something that we want to think about as we go through this week of meetings. And I trust that it is our heart's desire to use this week to draw closer in our relationship to God. Isaiah chapter 57 and verse 15, a familiar verse says this. It says, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. I believe as we enter into a week of revival, we need a spirit of humility and contrition before, the, before a holy God that is lofty above all. And I trust that as we humble ourselves before him, that we will allow his spirit to move in our hearts. Too often in my own life, it's easy to hear the message of the gospel, but to humble myself before that message and to say, you know, there's some changing that needs to happen within my own life is, is so often difficult uh, for me to do. Revival happens when I, in humility, open the word of God and allow the spirit of God to move in my heart. You know, as we go through this week, revival is not about what I think about myself. You know, we all have a pretty good perception of ourselves. Did you, did you ever stop and think about that? Probably a reality is that others have a better perception of who we are than we have of ourselves. Um, and that's kind of scary sometimes when you stop and think about it. Um, and, um, and so, you know, this week, it's not about what I think about myself. It's not what others think about me, but it's what God is thinking about me. And, the, and, um, and he is the one that that inspects the heart. Now for a message this evening, that was an introduction. I know it was rather lengthy for an introduction, but I invite you to turn with me to John chapter 1. And I simply titled the message this evening, Behold the Lamb. And, um, and really taking a look at, at what John saw as he, as he met Jesus um, and, and looking at some things there. Uh, Taking a look at John chapter 1, and we're going to uh, begin reading uh, in verse 29, and we're going to look at uh, 
from verse 29 to verse 42. And this is John's encounter with Jesus. John chapter 1, verse 29, it says this, And the next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. And I, knew, and I knew him not, but that he should make manifest to Israel. Therefore am I come, baptizing with water. And John bare record, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him. And I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bare record, that this is the Son of God. And the next day after, John stood and two of his disciples, and he looked upon Jesus as he walked. He saith, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and, said, and saw them following and said unto them, What seek ye? They said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say being interpreted, Master, where dwellest thou? And he said unto them, Come and see. They came and saw where he dwelt and abode with him that day, for he, it was about the tenth hour. One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first findeth his own brother Simon and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is, being interpreted, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is, by interpretation, a stone. John the Baptist was a man that was sent from God, okay? He was a man that came with a very specific and a very divine appointment upon him. From John's birth through John's death, John was on a mission to point other people to the Messiah. And he took his calling tremendously, uh, tremendously serious as he um, went about his mission on earth. Nothing seemed to distract John from the calling that was upon his life, that calling to appoint others to the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. Scripture tells us that John was a man who, who wore camel's hair and ate locusts and wild honey. He was a man that was dedicated to his mission. He was dedicated to the one that had called him to the work that was before him. I believe... John's life was completely consumed with one thing, and that was the coming of Jesus Christ. And the moment came. The moment came, and John said, Behold, tonight John's cry follows down through the corridors of time to us tonight. And he says, Behold, the Lamb of God. To behold something has the idea to set your eyes upon and to gaze intently. You know, it's like driving down the road. And you know, the things that we enjoy kind of tend to catch our eye, right? You know, maybe it's, that, maybe it's that fancy sports car that's going by, right? And you say, whoa, that's a, you know, Maserati or something, you know, something kind of rare. And you say, whoa, that's, that's, and you just... You don't just watch that out of the corner of your eye, do you? No, you say, whoa, there it went. 
Okay, to behold, you know, the one time, one time I was, I was riding with my friend, and um, and he's a truck driver, and he, we're we're riding along, and a truck went by, and and he said, "Oh, did you see? Did you see the truck?" And I said, "No, I was looking at the cornfield." <laughs> Here's the point: the things that we love catch our attention, right? I was looking at the cornfield. What did the farmer do right? What did he do wrong? That's beautiful corn in the field. And he was looking at the truck going by. You see, John was calling our attention to focus our attention on Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, tonight, lest I forget to say it, Jesus Christ is the focus of the entirety of all of Scripture. And here is John calling our attention and he's saying, look at Jesus. Fix your gaze, fix your attention on Jesus. You know, when we behold something, it kindles within our hearts and within our lives a desire, right? When I'm driving down the road and my friend's looking at the truck and I'm looking at the cornfield, in both of our hearts there is a budding desire, right? His budding desire is to maybe have a truck like that, okay? My budding desire is to maybe grow corn like that, okay? You see, it's what was catching my attention. And in that, there was a kindling of desire. There was a kindling of, of, of yearning for something, okay, uh, in, in what we beheld. John is telling us, to lay our eyes upon Jesus with the same kind of intensity, with the same kind of longing, with the same kind of desire. I believe John, remember his life was completely focused on the coming of Jesus Christ. When Jesus finally came and when Jesus presented himself to John, I believe John wanted nothing else. John wanted to see Jesus. Why was it that John was calling others to fix their eyes upon Jesus? Just as my friend called me to fix my eyes upon that truck, because I wasn't paying attention to the trucks, okay? You know why? Because something else had my attention. John was calling to the people that something else had their attention. And he says, I want you to fix your eyes upon Jesus. John was filled with the Holy Spirit. And I believe it gave John spiritual sight as he penned the words, or as he spoke the words that were penned here for us. What did John see? When he looked upon Jesus. He said behold look upon. Fasten your gaze upon Jesus. Because he said he's the lamb of God. John saw the work of redemption that Jesus would do. I believe John understood the prophecies. Of the Old Testament. I believe John was, was so focused on Jesus. That he understood the work of the Messiah. In this time in Israel, there was lambs that were being slain by the thousands. There was, there was sacrifices that were being made. 
And when John laid his eyes upon Jesus, he saw the work of redemption that Jesus would do. You know, the Jews of that time looked to the blood of lambs to cover their sin. Hebrews chapter 10 speaks about this. In Hebrews chapter 10, uh, verses 4 and 5, it says this. Says that for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sin. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifices and offerings thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. In verse 12, but this man, Jesus, speaking of Jesus, after he hath offered one sacrifice for sin forever, sat down at the right hand of God. John looked upon Jesus and he said, Behold, the Lamb, of the, uh, the Lamb of God. I believe the people of the Old Testament, as they went to, uh, on a regular basis into the temple to offer their lambs of sacrifice, understood that there was something more. They were looking for this Messiah. The, the, the sacrifice of lambs points forward to the work of Jesus Christ. John, through the revelation that God allowed him to see, saw Jesus as the ultimate sacrifice for sin. That Lamb of God, perfect, without spot, without any blemish. And like I said before, this brings Jesus into the centrality of all of Scripture. Old Testament, New Testament is all about Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes I'm afraid that in religion we complicate that message. Jesus Christ is the center. Jesus Christ is the one. And this week as we go through this set of meetings, it is my heart's desire that we grasp that fact. John also said, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. John recognized Jesus as the Redeemer, the awaited Messiah, a Lamb once slain for the redemption of mankind throughout all of time, like we looked at there in Hebrews chapter 10. I believe John was excited. I believe John was doing all he could do to contain himself when he finally laid his eyes upon Jesus. You know, we know the excitement of, of finally getting a hold of something that we really, really like, right? Go back to that, go back to that, that car that drove past, right? Young fellows, well, all of us. You know, that's one thing. But imagine if you could get in that car and drive it, okay? Or, or maybe it's a pickup truck or whatever, whatever it is that... that that gets your attention. I believe John was excited about this moment in time when it was no longer a prophecy of the coming of the Messiah, but it was a reality. John had been preaching a message of repentance from sin. And here he sees the Redeemer, the Son of God. 
Remember, there was no revelation from God for 400 years until the coming of John. There was a time of tremendous darkness. Could you imagine? No message from God in 400 years. It's no wonder. This is why I think John was a little excited. Okay? When he saw the coming of the Messiah, John was a glimmer of light into the, into the silence. But John understood that he was only there to point others to the coming of Jesus Christ. I believe John had a great desire that men would see Jesus. I believe that's what made John get up in the morning. That men would see Jesus. While John was a glimmer of light into the darkness of this world, he pointed others to the true light. Let's go back into John chapter 1. And let's back up into the beginning part. Now, this is, not, this is the Apostle John writing. This is not John the Baptist. But I believe we can also see some of what John the Apostle saw about Jesus here in the beginning verses of John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkest darkness comprehended it not. There is a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John was pointing men to the light. We see that here in, this, in, in these verses. In verse 8, it says that he was not that light, but he was sent to bear witness of that light. That light was Jesus Christ. Jesus, the light of the world. These verses tell us that Jesus was not only the light of the world, he was the creator of the world. If we go back into verses 1 through 3 in, in chapter 1, it tells us there very clearly that Jesus Christ was the creator of the world or was present at creation of the world. To create something creates ownership. I find it interesting to watch the things that children create. Okay? Um... I, my one daughter is it, it just incredibly creative, and it don't take her much to, to create something. But when she creates something, it's hers, okay? It's hers, and nobody else's. And uh, it's, some, it's, it's a job for parents sometimes to, to learn how to deal with all of that. But the fact is, she made it, and she owns it. You know, we, we understand this in, in the earthly sense. There's a tremendous amount of effort that gets put into patents because somebody created something. And because they create it, they say, I own it. It's mine. 
And so they want to protect it. Psalm, chapter, uh, Psalm 50 and verse 9 says this, I will take no bullock out of thine house, nor a he-goat out of thy folds. For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle upon a thousand hills. I know all the fowls of the mountains, and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell thee, for the world is mine and the fullness thereof. This is God speaking to us tonight. God is the owner of creation. God is the owner of everything that exists. If Jesus Christ is divine owner of everything tonight, if he says that everything is his, that puts us, each one of us, under his divine ownership by right. But you know, we, we understand this in the earthly sense where sometimes patents are stolen. Okay? There's, a, there's an account in my wife's family of where a patent was stolen. And it's quite a fascinating story. And, um, and, and you know, there's, there's a sense of loss when, when, when something like that takes place. Jesus says there is nothing that is not his. One of the interesting things about God's ownership of creation is that with humanity and with humanity alone, he gives a free will, a free choice. He gives us the right to choose to respect his ownership. In fact, in John chapter 1 and verse 5, it says that he came to this world and the world comprehended it not. In verse 10, it says, He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. This is the tragedy, dear ones, this, this evening of, the, of, the, um, of the, the condition of man. Is that God in his glory and his, 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 in his holiness allows man a choice, and man has rejected God. In their fallen state. Verses here in John say they comprehended it not. In other, in simple, in our in our English language today, we would say did not receive. Okay, they did not receive him. They rejected him. The condition of man apart from Jesus Christ, we know, is darkness. It's sin. It's difficulty, the sadness that sin brings, the lostness, the pain, the agony of life. Scripture calls it darkness here in the, this passage. He says, this light came into darkness, all of this difficulty and the, and the sin that is there. But the fact is tonight that no matter what we decide about God's ownership, it does not change the fact. It does not change the fact. John also goes on and he says here that in Jesus is life. He is the creator, but in Jesus is also life. It's a, it, I, I understand that each one of us here tonight is, is physically alive. Okay? There is physical life that is present here and that is a blessing. We understand that we relate to one another in the physical sense, in being alive and, and, and relating to one, one another. We put tremendous emphasis, we put tremendous value 
on physical life. Look back over the past year. It's actually, um, I found it kind of interesting as I was preparing to come. Um, it was in March of 2020 was my last set of revival meetings. And they got cut short because we went into lockdown with COVID. Okay, uh, we, we ended started on a Sunday night and ended on a Wednesday night. And, um, and one of the children says, well, they said, maybe something will happen that you get to come home on Wednesday night. <laughs> and I said, well, don't plan on it. And I said, in fact, I said, looking back, I think maybe I would have just rather preached for the rest of the week. <laughs> but, that's, um, but look back over the last year, year and a half, whatever it's been. People put a tremendous value on life, physical life. We go to extremes to preserve physical life. Man, man spends an, an insane amount of money to preserve life, even sometimes for only a short time. All the while, so often, not giving much attention to what is true life. Here it tells us that Jesus is life. Jesus' life is not only physical, but it is speaking more here of the spiritual. Jesus places a greater value on spiritual life than he does on physical life. Paul placed more value on spiritual life than he did on physical life. He said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, right? He says that if, if, I can, if my spiritual life is good then I can go on to glory. In him, in Jesus Christ, is spiritual life. Spiritual life tonight, brothers and sisters, dear ones, brings tremendous fulfillment. Spiritual life brings a, a completeness to physical life. And I would like to say tonight that physical life without spiritual life is truly a miserable existence. In John chapter 10 and verse 10, Jesus says this. He says, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that ye might have life and that ye might have it more abundantly. Jesus Christ is life. What does the abundant life look like? Our world tells us that the person with the most accumulations of wealth, the most accumulation of toys, the most accumulation of, uh, of pleasure is the one that has the abundant life. And you know what? We're not so far sometimes from that same thinking, right? We, get, we fall trapped to that at times, um, that same thinking. Dear ones, Jesus lived a model of the abundant life, and he had nothing. Today, the world tells us that the one that has all these things wins. Reality, the one that has Jesus wins. We also see here in John that it refers to Jesus as the light. Again, the Apostle John uses physical things to show us spiritual truth. Light is what dispels darkness. You know, and darkness is simply the absence of light. 
From the very moment that Adam's sin, darkness came upon the, upon the earth, and every person that is born is born into that darkness. Jesus Christ came as the light, the one that dispels all darkness. In verses 10 and 11, I already pointed this out. Jesus came into this world that he could bring light. And then there is a personal decision in verses 10 and 11. It says about the world knowing him not and the world receiving him not. A personal decision that comes with the presence of light through Jesus Christ. And in verse 12, we see here that a beautiful verse. Speaking about those that receive the light and the power of Jesus Christ. It says in verse 12, he says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Tonight I trust that I'm looking at a, at a group of people that, that many of us, most of us, know what it is like to be a child of God. Verse 12 really sums up the gospel message. Receive him. Believe on him and become the sons and daughters of God. It's a beautiful message. It's a message that has resonated through the, through the corridors of time. In verse 14, John also calls us to behold the glory of God. John came, Jesus came and John said, behold the Lamb of God, the light, the life, the salvation of man. When we behold Jesus as the Lamb of God, we will also behold his glory. Tonight, Jesus is glorious. The psalmist tells us that the whole earth is full of his glory. John chapter 12 and verse 20, 21 says this. As, as, the, uh, as the disciples um, were, were getting to... to were being called. They then came, therefore, to Philip, which was uh, at the city of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9, it says this, But we see Jesus. And it goes on with more in that verse. He was made a little lower than the angels for suffering and death, but crowned with glory and honor. Tonight, the message is this. As we go through this week of revivals, as we go through this time of studying the word of God, it is my prayer and my desire that we can behold the glory of God. That we can behold Jesus, that we can fix our eyes upon Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God and Jesus Christ glorified. And I believe if we do that, as we go through this week, we will be people that will be filled with the fullness of God. Tonight, as we, as we think about Jesus, I trust that it is our heart's desire to know and to understand the life and the light that Jesus has to offer us. As we go through this week, probably some of these subjects will come back and we'll revisit some of these subjects and, and take a look a little more intently at some things about Jesus, at the, at the work of redemption that God has planned for, uh, for mankind. And so as we go through this, uh, this week, it is my desire, like I already said, to, to make Jesus 
the center of the message of the gospel. Um, several things about the week uh, that I'm planning, and I don't know. I, I'm, I'm still, I still have a lot of studying to do. I, I don't know what the Lord has in store for us totally. But for the children that are here, I do plan to have some children's meetings, okay? Um, and I'm planning a children's meeting tomorrow night because I hope the things that I bring al- brought along stay alive, okay? That's, but, so we're taking a little chance there. So children, tomorrow night, plan on some uh, on children's meeting, and um, we'll look what the Lord has for us there. I invite all of you to come back again uh, tomorrow night, come back praying. You know, without prayer, I don't think revival happens. We need to be people that pray, and we want to be open to the direction and the leading of the Spirit of God as we go through this week. So at this time, I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to have a closing prayer, and then after that, can we have a verse of song? Let's stand together for prayer. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you tonight, Father, we rejoice that Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God, the one that gave his life as the Redeemer. Father, we just pray tonight that as we go through this week of revivals, Father, that we would again and again see Jesus in the scripture. Father, I just pray that you'd be with each one of us. Father, I just pray that as we go from here tonight, Father, that your spirit would be with us. Father, that your spirit would guide us. Father, I just pray for direction, for guidance. As we look at messages for the rest of this week, Father, that your name can be lifted up and that your name can be glorified. Father, I just pray that you dismiss us with your blessing. May your grace, your mercy, and your peace rest upon us. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Depart in peace.